0: The Biscuit is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.
1: Hello, everybody. It's Tim Miner, and I'm welcoming you to a special extra portion edition of The Biscuit Podcast on Monday, February the 24th. Why are we doing this? It's because on Wednesday, February the 26th, the Sphere series is going to have an incredible panel discussion called Angels to Anathema. What do we do when beloved artists behave badly? Uh, I think it's a, a pretty incredible and timely topic because, you know, art has forever been recognized as pushing boundaries and sometimes being um, revolutionary or running against social mores or causing us to question the status quo. That's part of art's purpose. In fact, some would say it's its major purpose is to get us to push against the constraints of daily life or of society. Um, So that's, you know, roguish, puckish, sometimes shocking, brutal, or even, you know, depending on who you are, immoral tags on art is stock and trade. But as we've experienced in our society lately, uh, we're starting to learn more and more about the artists in real time and what they do. You know, if you read about an artist who is long dead and the potentially uh, criminal or immoral behavior um, that they may or may not have participated in, uh, it's a little bit more easier to hold that at arm's length. Um, but still calls the art itself potentially into question. But what about today when information moves faster and we learn more and more about artists as they're still alive, as they're still creating, as we find that they may have participated in actions which are illegal or um, depending on who you are, consider immoral, how does that impact the art? Um, and that's a question that a panel, uh, including author Emily Nossbaum. John Love Jr. and uh, Jen Edwards, who is the chief curator and curator of contemporary art at the Mint Museum will be tackling for the sphere series event on Wednesday, the 26th at the Mint uptown It's from six to 8 PM. It's going to be a fascinating discussion. There is a cash bar um, and then a book signing afterwards with Emily Nussbaum at eight. Um, but a, what's sure to be a pretty uh, engaging, lively panel discussion from 6.30 to 8. Um, and to give you a little taste of that, Matt sat down with Neely Verano and Hillary Seiber, who are two of the spheres, two of the organizers of the sphere series, um, as well as John Love and Jed Edwards, to just get a little preview of what Wednesday's event is going to be like. It's a fascinating discussion about how art and our opinion of art and artists themselves change when new information is brought to light Um, i would also let you know before i go that you should go ahead and mark on your calendar that the next sphere series event is saturday the 28th of march and it's a celebration of black mountain college Um, so a really fascinating historical discussion of the significance of that college to the art scene in north carolina Uh, before we dive into the discussion that matt olin is going to lead Uh, i want to thank our incredible podcast sponsors ortho carolina and four eyes web design and mention that the biscuit podcast is a proud member of the queen city podcast network and with that said let's move into the discussion we are here at the mint
0: museum sitting with a bunch of charlotte creatives here so we're going to dive in and, and and learn a little bit about who they are in a second but First of all, the reason we're here is because the 2020 season of Sphere series is about to kick off, and they're kicking it off with a great program next week called Angels to An- Anathema. Mm, I got it. Angels to Anathema. What to do when artists behave badly. This is going to be a part of the Live at the Mint series, uh, 6 to 9 p.m. on February 26th at the Mint Museum uptown. So if, let's start here. We're here with Hillary Burt and Neely Verano. And I want you two to just tell us a little bit about what the Sphere series is. Tell us about that.
2: So about three years ago, four years ago, four years ago, um, you know, at the time, Jen was at the Beckler, Hillary was teaching classes at Queens, I was running a gallery, an art gallery, and we frequently heard and felt this um, hunger among our colleagues and and creatives and artists and collectors in the community for more. They wanted more education, more dialogue, more programming. And certainly um, the institutions in Charlotte have done a great job of that, but we felt that there could be more. And so we decided to put together the Sphere series. It really was a grassroots effort. And um, we've structured it with sort of two different um areas, if you will, one being the public program, which we'll be talking about more in a few minutes with um, Jen and John. Um, and we do that, we've been doing that about once a year. And and that really offers critical discourse on issues, contemporary issues happening in the arts. And um, we've, you know, our last one was about this mural movement that we've had not only in Charlotte, but um, nationally and globally. Um, the first one was sort of a baseline. What is the art market? Where are we? We had... Um, representatives from each of the four major sectors in the art market so a um, art fair leader um, a auction house leader a gallerist and arts a representative from artsy which is the largest online platform in the world for buying and selling art
3: Mm
2: -hmm. um and we felt that was really important to sort of launch the sphere series with giving people a baseline understanding of of um the art market and the contemporary art um sort of Um, Trajectory. So, and then um, Hillary has been, in particular, has been spearheading the um, art history lecture series as part of Sphere series, and I'll
4: let her talk a little bit more about that. Thanks. Thanks, Neely. Um, So in conjunction with the public programming that we do once a year, we've coupled it with a a membership program for people that want more. Um, And so it's a monthly lecture um, at a different art institution around town. We have about 60 members. We started about 30. Now we have 60. Um, And you um, enroll at the beginning of the year like you would a, a, um, a university class um, and we move people around the city. Our goal is for people to experience different um, uh, arts institutions, cultural spaces, get them out of their comfort zone, get them exploring our city and what we have to offer. Um, at those um, places, we hear from a different professor, curator, artist, arts leader on a different topic, usually based in um some sort of art history background. It it can be loose or it can be more rigorous. Um, And our hope is that that gives you the background and the information to then go to these public talks and contextualize then what you're hearing um, about some contemporary issue. Um, And so, I've been working on that with Liz Faison, um, who's a board member at the Beckler, and really amongst the four of us, that makes up The Spheres. Mm.
0: Well, I got to say, the offerings of The Sphere series um, feels truly additive to the cultural landscape here. You know, it really does fill sort of a, a void that, that's that been out there, but also I love the collaborative spirit of it, too. I mean, with all these different sort of galleries and, and um, other organizations in town sort of Coming together around this vision, around this idea—that's one of the things that really sings to me about Sphere Series. I mean, is that is that part of the thing that you love about it as well?
4: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that the more we can collaborate, more is better. More is more, um, and the more that we can work together to um, get people excited and interested in the arts, that's only going to help everybody.
2: Yeah. Uh, just to add to that, I think <clears throat> there are more galleries in Charlotte than there have ever been before. There are more artists in Charlotte than there ever have been before, more creatives. Um, the creative sector in particular is growing at a, at lightning speed. And so it's been really great to be able to fill some gaps because it's not possible for um, the institutions that we have in town to completely fill all of the needs that we have in the community and the creative sector. And so um, I think this is really just the beginning um, for Sphere Series. We do have you know, some visions to make it um, even bigger, mm. um, and we're, we're tr- walking through ways to do that. Um, but I, th- I think that it is going to continue playing a really critical role in offering this type of education and access and um, critical dialogue around these issues.
0: Beautiful. Well, we can't wait to continue that conversation about the Future Sphere series like on a on a uh, future episode of the Biscuit CLT podcast. Now, moving on to next week's program, uh, we also have here at the table here at the Mint Museum. Uh, John W. Love Jr. I'm John. You and I go back a long way. I love you. You're amazing. Um, I also love what's written about you here. You are an interdisciplinary artist whose crystalline and mythic worlds examine the mercurial nature of everything we know to be true. You're a Guggenheim fellow. You're a 2020 Creative Capital Awardee for your latest installation, the Cathedral of Messes. You're a genius. And so thank (laughs) you for being here to talk about this. We also have my friend Jen Edwards, uh, the PhD, chief curator and curator of contemporary art at the Mint Museum. Hi, Jen. Hi, Matt. Okay, so let's spend a few minutes talking about next week's program, "Angels to Anathema." Okay. What to do? Which just rolls off my tongue, right? <laughs> like I, I feel like I've been saying it my entire life. What to do when artists behave badly? Um, so. Let's start with it. Just tell us a little bit about the um, live at the at the Mint series and a little overview of this particular offering next week.
3: Sure. Um, first of all, thank you, Matt and Tim, for having us here. Of course. It's always wonderful hanging out with you guys. Um, so the Live at the Mint series was started in September um, at the Mint. Um, it's a collaborative effort not only amongst the staff of the museum. Um, it's really cross-departmental. We all come together and talk about like what kind of programs we want to have and what we want to do on those evenings to activate the Museum for the Community, um, but it's also across the city. We've been trying to collaborate with creative partners um, all over, not only in the visual arts, but in all creative forums. So we partnered with Gotta Swing Charlotte for an evening of swing dancing. We partnered with Charlotte Mecklenburg Library on um, a silent film in the atrium we've partnered with charlotte storytellers and the charlotte ballet and the charlotte symphony um last night we partnered um it was informal with charlotte film society we're trying to firm that up more and also jeff jackson um who programs films at goodyear Um, and we were the southeastern premiere for the matthew barney film redoubt so we do these programs every wednesday night at the mint which is when we are open both live, uh, sorry, of course we're live, uh, when we're open late mm-hmm. and free. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that we're offering all of these collaborations and all of these sort of um, experiences that are multidisciplinary with as much access to the public as possible. Beautiful, beautiful. Dream. Um
0: dream. Well, let's talk about next week's-
3: Yes. Next week's program. Yes.
0: Um, and so I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, the the focus of the conversation. Um, I don't know if you or John want to um, start with so, sort of like a headline of, of kind of what the main topic is going to be, like how you're going to go into this conversation of what to do when artists behave badly. And then we can dive down a little deeper
5: from how, there. Like
3: I'll give the background for how it came about and then I'll turn it over to you for like a little preview as to, or just your comments. Does that sound good?
5: That sounds fine.
3: Okay, great. So, um, I've been thinking about this probably since college when I I was a film student originally in college, and I realized that so many of the filmmakers that I loved growing up were in fact, oh, I don't know, rapists, pedophiles, drug dealing, like bad people. Um, and for whatever reason, it didn't bother me so much in college, um, and I... I didn't have any problem continuing to watch, enjoy, study filmmakers like Roman Polanski and Woody Allen. Um, And I was able to very easily divorce the personal private life of the maker. And the artwork that came from that person, mm-hmm. um, so I really did experience this sort of death of the author. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a conflict for me. Um, and then um, I, I, I can't remember if it was when, in two thousand and one, when Woody Allen came out and gave the dedication at the Oscars. I guess it was two thousand two, um, or if it was when Roman Polanski was nominated for The Pianist, but. Um, Emily Nussbaum, who is one of our guest uh, panelists, was over at my apartment watching the Oscars with me. And we got into this very um, wonderful, but heated, intense conversation about what it meant to have these people celebrated in this forum and how it allowed, sort of, it protected them for the things that they had done, but also institutionalized them in a way that not only insulated them, but kind of almost justified what they did or like gave it permission to happen if you were able to counter it with this wonderful work of art. Um, And so that conversation is something that Emily and I have been having on and off for for a while now. And it's, it's also made me think constantly about what that means and now that i work in an institution mm-hmm. what that means with regards to my culpability mm-hmm. in allowing and protecting that kind of behavior by embracing exhibiting collecting or um in any way kind of exhibiting the work by by those artists mm-hmm. and so what does that mean and quite honestly and personally i'll admit like Roseanne Barr, Louis C.K., and Bill Cosby completely informed my parenting choices, Mm -hmm. completely. And it's painful for me to think that I can't just easily sit down and watch Roseanne, The Cosby Show, and Louis with my children Mm -hmm. and like celebrate that magic entertainment that they formed when, in fact, all three of them used those platforms to allow them to do some pretty heinous things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where that came from. And because we talked about this idea coming out of, you know the fact that the Me Too movement has pushed this conversation into the fore, um, we talked about having this be the public program for Sphere this year. And so I immediately thought of Emily Nussbaum because um, because that was one of the conversations that kicked off me thinking about this for the last 20 years. Um, So Emily is a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, New Yorker writer for the magazine, The New Yorker, and Uh she is a New Yorker. Um, (laughs) So she's coming down to be on the panel. And we very much wanted to have an artist on the panel to give that perspective as well. And who is better to speak truth to power and also to give an honest assessment of of what it means to be responsible, both from the artistic side, but also from the institutional side, because I think that's something, John, that you think about very, very carefully and very wisely, because you you know a lot about institutions and you know a lot about power and that concept of like power, masculine, feminine, all of those, John will talk about more.
5: Yeah, but- um, first of all, Matt, that introduction, I feel like I need to give you like a push present or a piece of jewelry or something. Thank you. It's it, Well,
0: I meant every word. All right, all right. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing because I did mean every
5: word. He did mean Funny every you. word,
0: thank
3: I just you. i impressed you
5: got all the words out there. <laughs> okay, the, um, in terms of knowing about power, and knowing about institutions. Um, it's difficult to be an individual artist and to have been doing it longer than five minutes and not know something about power mm-hmm. and something about institutions because you're navigating that all the time. Um, when Jen asked me to participate on this, this, in this conversation, Because this topic, this subject, has been one that I've been thinking about as well for a very, very long time. But I break it down to it refocuses and recalibrates the conversation around what it means to be human Mm. and personhood. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, artist, doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, crackhead, yogini, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. We're people. And people are not perfect, and people fuck up. Mm-hmm. and people do things that people do that's that's the broad, expansive nature of humanity. Mm. And um, I feel like what ends up happening because you know, I, I mean, you know about my background in that while I'm an interdisciplinary artist, my most Hardcore training and my deepest training is as an actor Mm -hmm. and as a performer. And um, so I'm all about understanding not only the narrative, but understanding myth Mm -hmm. and understanding characters and understanding what their function is and what they do. Mm -hmm. And as human beings, we have a tendency to forget that our heroes, um, that the way that we make them heroes is that we cut out huge chunks of their humanity Mm -hmm. and we clean it up Mm -hmm. and that's not real and it's also not sustainable. Mm -hmm. So for as, because look, the things that the artists behaving badly that I'm sure that we're going to reference, the things that they did didn't just become horrible when people found out the fact that they were doing them, Mm -hmm. right? They've always been horrible. They were horrible when they were happening. They were horrible when the public didn't know about it. Mm -hmm. And they happened. Mm -hmm. And they happen a lot. And they happen all the time. So I think this is a perfect opportunity to say, let's have a different conversation about, A, what it means to be human and B what it means to be human and a person that creates.
0: Mm. Well, it's, it's funny too, because when you speak of the word hero and I, I would admit freely that Bill Cosby and Michael Jackson were heroes of mine growing up. I, I consumed what they were putting out into the world, you know, with a, with insatiable appetite. And so once things that they may or may not have been involved in were revealed, you know, it, a lot of us were sort of put into this place where we had to try to figure out how do we separate the creator from the creation? Is that even, is that even possible? Should we even endeavor to to separate the creator from the creation? I don't know. I mean, I'd, be, I'd love to hear your thoughts about that sort of conundrum that society as a whole has found themselves.
5: In. Well, see, I never had that luxury. Mm. I never had the luxury of separating the Mm -hmm. creator from the creation. Mm -hmm. Um, What I had to do when I say I never had that luxury, I never had, I never had um, the luxury of that cognitive dissonance Mm -hmm. because in my life, I've always dealt with the creator and the creation. I've worked with brilliant people who are awful human beings to be around.
6: Mm.
5: Mean, cruel, nefarious, on some fuck shit, but brilliant artists. Mm-hmm. And so as an actor, for example, whether I'm doing a play or whether I was working on a film, well, I'm going to work. Every day is work. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work every day. And so the work, the nature of the work itself is very intimate work. It's about people and humanity and all that kind of stuff. So we're navigating the concept of people and humanity, but then we're also navigating the reality Mm -hmm. of people and humanity. Mm -hmm. And um, so you want to talk about a training ground in terms of how you navigate power, how you navigate the shark-infested waters of the wax and the wane of goodness versus badness versus all that kind of stuff, and still do the work. So I've kind of always seen it that way.
3: I think one of the... Concerns that I have, and one of the realities of the situation is that um, you gave the examples of Bill Cosby and Michael Jackson because they were allowed to keep those roles Bill Cosby as American's dad, Michael Jackson as this beloved entertainer who was the Peter Pan of our contemporary world. Um, it gave them, and I'd actually rather not. Talk about Michael Jackson just because we don't we don't know what happened there. We don't know. where is Bill Cosby, we don't know. I think we do know, um, but Wesley Morris for the New York Times wrote this really interesting op-ed last year that he was able to do the things that he did because he was seen as as Dr. Cliff Huxtable. Like he was perceived as the character he played on TV, a character he wrote and embodied. Um, And so on the one hand, there's the fact that because he was very wealthy, very established, had a long career in Hollywood, there was a power structure that protected him much as we are hearing a great deal now about Harvey Weinstein and that structure that was able to insulate and protect him. Mm -hmm. But, you know, women continually fell for Bill Cosby's routine and these bars because they saw him as Cliff Huxtable. And I think that's where this danger of, um, allowing our heroes to go because i i completely john i've talked about this actually quite a bit and the idea that like we cannot expect people to be perfect whether they're on tv or just hanging out in our dining rooms as our neighbors like that's it's not fair and it's not kind and it's not realistic um so i think that's definitely a part of this conversation but the extreme is also that by a, by not really discussing what was done in the context of the creative work that came out of it, um, you create the possibility for the bad personal behavior to continue, Mm. you know, like that's, that's kind of a concern that I have Mm -hmm. now.
0: You know, it's, it's occurring to me as we talk about this, that every example that we've brought up are of male Roseanne Barr people. You're, oh, you're right. You did say Roseanne Barr. You, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. But I am curious how much of this fascinating conversation that will be happening next week is sort of one channel of the overall Me Too, um, dialogue that's happening in the, in the nation, in the world right now.
5: I'm going to complicate it mm-hmm. temporarily in order to bring about some clarity. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about Cosby because, you know, why? However, for a chunk of time when I was in L.A., it was well known. I had actress friends Mm -hmm. who had auditions for the Cosby show, A Different World. And it was like, oh, great. Your agent called you. You have an audition for the Cosby show where you're not going to be with him by yourself. That was our conversation. Mm-hmm. That's not happening. And if your agent is telling you that you need to, you know, meet him at anything uh, any place other than the studio, mm-hmm. and any place other than when there are other people around, well, you're not doing mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. You want to start talking about the levels of complicity. Mm-hmm. And the complication of at least, it's not rumor. It wasn't rumor. Mm -hmm. It was common knowledge Mm -hmm. that these are dangerous waters to swim in. And then the choices that people make from that. It's not about blaming victims. It's not about you should have known. But it's also not as simple as being fooled.
3: I would like to point out though, um, while it was true in the industry, a lot of the women that he victimized were people he would meet in hotels who would not have known about his reputation. Just, you know, to walk that back a little bit. Sure, sure, sure. Because I did hear about it too in the nineties for sure. But a lot of those people who came forward were not wannabe actresses. They were people who he ran into in hotels, got it, in bars.
0: So I have a couple final questions um, for this conversation. Um, one, I'd like to ask of John. You know, as I said earlier. I believe you're a brilliant artist and countless people do as well. And what, one of the things I love about your work is that it's also, I find it to be provocative, right? So as someone who's done tons of provocative work out in the world, no doubt at some point, someone along the way is going to say, that guy's behaving badly. Have you ever felt you're like on the receiving end of that sort of um, a feedback and what was your
5: reaction to it? This is what I told somebody the other day. I don't wake up in the morning and say, who am I going to freak out today? <laughs> like, I don't do that. That's not my process. That's not, how, that's not how I show up to life. I wake up in the Little morning. Rascal. I wake up in the morning and I say, ah, oh, what bit of excitement, what bit of yummy, what bit of mojo do I want to dive into today? That's the way that I approach my work. And so if I'm working on a narrative or working on a story, and if the character is a dangerous character, I didn't decide that the character was dangerous. There's there's this whole process of listening to the work, letting the work come through me, letting the work speak to me, actually not putting my ego... On what must be in terms of what the work is telling me that it is. Mm -hmm. Some people think that's all, you know, some artist bullshit, da da da. No, but that's the way that it happens Mm -hmm. in terms of when you're creating or when you're channeling or whatever word that you want to use. So if I have a character that is problematic. Well, you can't tell the story of the angel without telling the story of the devil. Mm-hmm. So, this whole idea that everybody and everything has to be sweet and nice and cleaned up and appropriate for the children. Well, you know what I think is inappropriate for the children? Lies. Mm-hmm. Because children actually see, navigate, deal with much more complex issues day to day in their own homes than anything I've ever said or done in any of my work. Mm -hmm. For real, for real. Yeah. (laughs) Right? So then, but back to what Jen was saying in terms of, so that's me supposedly behaving badly in the work, in the context of the work.
3: So that might mean that the work isn't for you. This is not about how artists behave in the work. I feel very strongly that art is a place to have uncomfortable, sometimes disgusting, sometimes even undiscerning conversations and actions. And no, this is strictly about- It's not about censorship. It's not about anything like that. No. I mean, this is exactly where those experiences and conversations need to happen. Mm -hmm. I feel very strongly about that. So- That's all I want to say.
5: So in terms of me behaving badly or supposedly behaving badly or looking like I'm behaving badly outside of the work. Mm -hmm. Well, I remember there was one time when um, a woman came up to me and, you know, she tried it. She tried it. She thought she was being slick. I was like, bitch, don't try me. But she came up to me and she very passively aggressively said, well, a friend of mine said that they saw you out in some place that I don't know. You don't, I don't know if you want people to know that you were there. I said, oh, you mean when I was out at the club at one of the clubs that I'm a creative consultant for, but this was a particular club, which was a gay club that a friend of mine owns and that I was with a friend of mine who was dope sick and I was helping them not like have an evening that they would regret. Do you mean that?
6: Mm-hmm.
5: yeah, I was there mm-hmm. so now, I'm the kind of person that I own all my stuff, and um so i don't I don't believe in doing a lot of hiding, so even if someone says something about my own behavior outside of the work they that they perceive as being me behaving badly. Mm. My response is, and, yeah, so what? Mm-hmm. what? What kind of conversation do you want to have? But also, it's back to that thing of, are we going to cherry pick whose feet we hold to the fire? Cause baby, if we start holding everybody's feet to the fire, <laughs> there's not enough fire. <laughs> mm. Yes, Neely.
2: There's a difference between what we view as immoral behavior and criminal behavior. And I think that this it's very difficult to mandate moral behavior or immorality. And even further, I would say that morality is very subjective. So why what, what Person A might think is immoral behavior, person B might have no issue with that behavior. Mm-hmm. And so I think the lines get extremely blurred. And I think that we have to be careful about what we're defining as bad behavior. And we really want to stick to criminal behavior.
0: Sure. As yeah. opposed to. This is breaking the because, law versus breaking the rules.
2: And then the other thing that I would say, and I believe this strongly, that I think artists are held to a different standard. I don't know what that standard is, but it's the same. It might be the same as the standard that we hold for athletes who have behaved badly to um, celebrities who have behaved badly to people who have extremely high positions of power. And so what standard are we holding to artists um, that maybe is either fair or unfair? Um, And I think that needs to be part of the conversation as well. And Mm -hmm. I I think we're at a time when we're starting to realize that, you know, our lives are not mutually, uh, what we do in our lives are not mutually exclusive. So um, how you work is not necessarily mutually exclusive of how you parent your children. Mm -hmm. It's it's all connected, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. um, I think that you have to take a look at the whole picture. We are complex human beings and we can be dissected, but- You know, I think that it's it's easy to compartmentalize and silo artists. um, But I also think we do have to look at the whole picture in many ways.
0: Absolutely. All right. So I want to end this conversation with a question for Jen, which is what do you hope will come out of this conversation on February 26th?
3: Well, certainly no answers. Like, I don't think we're going to we have a roster or like a list of action items that we're going to go out and take. I mean, this this really is a conversation with um, about something that I think is urgently necessary to have not only in the public sphere, but in an, an arts institution, because I think it is particularly complicated for people who work in the arts, And that includes film, dance, music. I mean, when we were at WDAV a few days ago, and at the end of the conversation, the DJ said, we have this conversation every day, and I find it difficult to play Wagner because hmm. of the associations, the anti-Semitic issues with Wagner. Yeah. And so... Every sphere of life, but particularly in creative life, you find people who, who fit this very complicated issue of, of how they led a certain life and how that's, um, that filters into the work in a way that may either that brings up these conversations in a way that we have to have them. I'm sorry, I'm not directly answering your question. I will directly answer it now. What I expect to come- <laughs> Wednesday, February 26th, um, is that we're going to have a really spirited, engaging conversation around these issues. Yeah. Um, I don't expect any answers to come out of it, certainly. Um, but I, th- I think it's going to be a lot of conversation, not just with us on the stage, but also with the audience. Um, and so I do just want to give a breakdown of the evening just because sure. thank you, Hillary, for the thumbs up. So um, six o'clock, come and have Cash Bar it's open. Um, but the the conversation starts at 630. Um, so Emily, John, and I will speak from 630 to 730 from 730 to eight. We're going to open it up for Q and A, And then at eight o'clock, Emily Nussbaum will be doing a book signing in the mint bookstore for her book. I like to watch arguing my way through the TV revolution, mm-hmm. um, which is a wonderful book and a collection of many of her New Yorker essays. Um, but yeah, so I I just want it to be a good, engaging, and provocative conversation. I mean, that's the kind of dialogue that we want to have in our art institutions. Mm-hmm. All of them, Yeah, I would hope. I, actually, I do have a goal. Okay.
5: And um, this is a part of me, for as fluid as I am, this is a part of me that is the most male. I am so solution-oriented.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ah, you Mr. Know, fix It. Yes. Yeah. Well, I
5: mean, I you know, I, I I like a solution and I like a plan. Yeah. Uh I think I think that one of the yeah. biggest things that can come out of this is I believe in giving people, audiences, um, all the information. Mm-hmm. Um and I like the idea of helping the audience not be so passive. Mm-hmm. And so if you decide, say, the mint is going to show some Gauguin or whatever, then I think the real deal is, well, the conversation has been expanded. Mm-hmm. So here's all the information mm-hmm. and we're not going to tell you what to think. You tell us what you think. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm going to push. Well, yeah, I like that. Beautiful.
0: Plan. All right, Hillary. How can people find out more and when is the next public program?
4: Thanks, Matt. Um, You can go to www.sphereseries.com or you can follow us on Instagram, Sphereseries. We have all the information up there. Our next public program is March 28th at Queens University. Um, It's a panel discussion um, on Black Mountain College and its educational revolution that happened there. Um, And it will be with CU Challenge Lipton and a a bunch of people coming down from Black Mountain um, College Museum and thought leaders on Black Mountain College.
0: Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, Jen Edwards, John Love, Neely Verano, Hillary Burt, thank all of you. Thank you for um, your leadership and audacity in, in bringing this conversation to the forefront um, for inside the creative community here and um, and for creating a space for this vital conversation to happen next week. I can't wait for it. And thanks for joining us on the podcast. Y'all are amazing.
6: Thanks again to Jen Edwards, Neely Verano, Hillary Burt, and John Love for speaking with us. And of course, thank you, the listener, for tuning into The Biscuit Podcast. That's all the time we have for today's episode of The Biscuit. Remember to subscribe to The Biscuit Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review so that other creative charlatans can hear about us, or better yet, just tell them yourselves. Call or text us at 704-835-0193 and leave us a 30-second message with your questions about creativity in the Queen City. That's 704-835-0193. We'll use the best messages on a future episode of the Biscuit CLT podcast. Finally, get the scoop on Charlotte's creative scene delivered straight to your inbox every week by subscribing to the Biscuit email newsletter. Do that now at CLT. Dot com Biscuit Podcast is produced by Tim Miner, Matt Olin, and Andy Go. Music by Harvey Cummings.